I particularly enjoyed looking often over to my right and seeing Slash with a cigarette in his mouth looking at me like, bro, I'm sorry, you don't got it. (laughs) 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 That I really enjoyed. Welcome to the Dream Studios podcast. I'm your host, Hogue recording and mixing engineer here at The Dream in South Austin, Texas. My guests today are Colin Clark and David Polkingham. These two guys came in here in 2019 to record Colin's first record under the name Colin Clark. He has a band called Brass Buckle. He also records with, but for this one, he went solo. The name of the album is From Austin With Love, and on it, he and his writing, production, partner, guitar master, and local Austin legend... David Polkingham, who plays with Patty Griffin most frequently, but has also played with folks like Alejandro Escovedo and a lot of people, because he's awesome. Uh, Where he and Colin reimagine and pay tribute to songs written by legendary, I already said legendary, what should I say, revered Austin musicians. Colin's soulful baritone and David's athletic, florid guitar playing, combined with bassist Glenn Fukunaga and drummer Bobby Trimble, both highly regarded local cats in their own right, make for quite the sonic experience. I'll leave it to Colin and David to tell you the story of how they met, but what I will tell you now is that these two guys are two of the gentlest, most intelligent, and most fun people to be around. The kind of fellows who do things the right way and treat people the right way, and when they record together, uh, well, I just love to be a part of it. Let's take a listen to a bit of a track off from Awesome With Love. This one is called Six Strings Down, which was originally done by Austin musician Jimmy Vaughn. Good blue stringing, heaven fine singing, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and listening to you playing. Such a nice, woody, clunky feel on that one. I love it. Colin, Polk, welcome to the Dream Studios podcast. Please say hello to me. Colin, you go first. Howdy, Hogue. Howdy, Hogue. All right. (laughs) We're officially started. What do you guys say we break the ice with a question that has nothing to do with music? Yeah. Okay. So recently I joined a book club with a couple friends from high school, and, uh, you know, two of us got the actual book, and one of us read read the book, um, audiobook. Oh. I think that's cheating. Uh. And I lost all interest in the book club. Uh, Colin, give me your take first. On audiobooks? Or... If, can you audiobook a book when you're in a book club? Sure. Sure. Oh, boy. Um, a lot of people have really busy lives where you know, the only, like their, their time is in their commute and they could actually, I'd rather have a member of the club listen to the book and not read it than not read it and not listen to it. Okay. Okay. That's your opinion. Paul, let's <laughs> yep. hear what you got. <laughs> well, I do think that listening to words as opposed to reading them operates in a different part of the brain. And I do believe that you're getting a different result from aforementioned differing activities um, I prefer myself to read, but I think Colin's point is well taken. <laughs> At least they're getting some of that <clears throat> input 
and they might have really busy lives. Yeah, yeah I mean, who doesn't have really, well, I don't have a really busy life, so uh, I read. But uh, <laughs> um, I guess I guess it's fair game. But I, you know, I'm I'm going to be very diplomatic here and say I, I understand both of your points of view. Okay, I, I mean, yeah. I think that's the right position to take. I think you're you're on the right track. There's a there's a time and place for both. But anyway, that was the successful answering of that non musical question. I think now yeah. Hoga have a variation of that topic. Yeah. And to be clear, I I don't think I've ever listened to an audio book. I never have. Um, but I understand people do. What about if someone says, oh, I read that book, by which they mean they listen to it? Um, I'm should, more inclined... Should you say, I listened to that book? If you... I, I think you should. Yeah. And I'm more inclined to count it as reading the book if it's nonfiction. For some reason, if it's fiction, I think you need the hard copy. You need to crack that sucker open. You need to you, smell the paper. You need to smell that paper. You need to kick back on a sofa yeah. and have created time to read rather than right. be read to. So here's the thing about audiobooks. I have a question, having never listened to one. Okay, so you're reading a book and there are different people there, you know, it, having dialogue, say, perhaps. You know, does the audiobook person change their voice for each person? They, they I mean, do. It, it, inherently speaking, do they have accents? Like this, you know, there's a French dude in this, you know, there's a, like, do you have some cheesy French accent coming on? I'm not sure about that, but they do change... Th- her character yeah so i mean they're voice actors yeah i i like all this i i fear that we will get so engulfed in this conversation that time will be up and we'll have just talked about audiobooks versus hard (laughs) hard copies of books so i'm gonna go to the first uh topic here how did you guys team up for this idea from austin with love to take songs from austin artists rearrange them spin them in your own fashion so david uh polkingham was my guitar teacher in high school. Correct. I was uh, lucky enough to stumble upon him when I needed an art credit, and it turned out you could take guitar lessons for art credit. I thought, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Total beginner, didn't know anything, and uh, David was very patient, uh, as he is with all of his students. So I learned the major chords, a couple minor chords, didn't really apply myself. Uh, at all (laughs) probably technically should have failed the class one year they were kind enough to let me graduate and uh that was that i I was could kind of play a few chords around a campfire but not much more i started singing with your brother uh in college like twice i think my very first performances singing or with with bone saw And then uh, when we all ended up in Austin, we had a, a little band very briefly, the Doglins. Yeah. Hoagie played um, percussion on some upside-down buckets. And then I went back to David in my mid-20s, say, hey, I'd, I'd like to take guitar lessons again. And he was kind enough to help me learn some songs. So I uh, got, got out, played a little around town, and then... Um, about 10 years ago, decided, okay, I actually want to have a band. I want to play Waylon Jennings songs. I want to have a pedal steel guitar in the band. And I uh, got that going and called that Brass Buckle. Made an album here in the dream called uh, Heart Shaped Rock. And so I was playing around town, had an album, had written some songs, but I had this idea in the back of my head 
for many years that it'd be really fun to take songs I love from Austin musicians, of whom there are so many, kind of whittle it down to ones that I, I like to sing or that I would like to hear David play guitar on. And uh, pitched it to David if, if he would be willing to produce it and play on it. And fortunately, he said yes. He had a little time off from touring with Patty Griffin. So um, David got Glenn Fukunaga to play bass. Um, Bobby Trimble had been playing drums with me for a while, and Bob Hoffner on pedal steel. That's a very long, uh, long-winded answer to, <laughs> I hope, answer to your question. But I believe all of it is true. <laughs> Yeah, it all checks out. Yeah, I yeah. was uh, live scrolling Wikipedia to make sure it all <laughs> was true. Yeah, so those other guys, Glenn and Bobby. Uh, Glenn is kind of a sometimes a package deal with you, David. Yeah, I I use Glenn. I've used Glenn a lot when I've done production for people. Um, he's a fantastic. Well, first of all, he's a fantastic person, um, yeah. and he's a marvelous presence to have around recording he's just a very peaceful centered person um and uh he generally gives you exactly what you want and none of what you don't want that is the ball game isn't it that's the ball game and uh Hogue, little, little known fact <clears throat> glenn fukunaga in addition to playing with the band known as the chicks joe ely used I mean, to be the dixie chicks for those who yeah you know, they've got an update um oh i didn't I didn't he, know that. He played on their Smash album. Yeah. Toured did. with them both a long time ago and recently. Yeah. Did he really? Wow. Yeah. Glenn's yeah. played with. Everybody. Everybody. Sean Colvin. Um, yeah, the, the list is, is long and deep. Yeah. But a uh, little known fact, his other job, speaking of books, is he's a master antique book binder, book yeah. repairman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one at a, it's called One at a Time. One book at a time is his business. So like, for instance, the, the Mark Twain Award every year that gets given to whatever writer, mm-hmm. um, part of the award is a one-off hand-bound book, and he's got that gig. He's the one who makes no that. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a fascinating piece of trivia. Also, yeah. we should have him on the podcast yeah, you to sur- talk about yeah. the, the book question. Yeah, you should ask him the book question for sure. Yeah, <laughs> he's a you know he's a fantastic guy. I actually met, I saw him play a lot, but then I first played with him. I did. I got to play a gig with Robert Plant, a two a two night uh, stint at the Continental Club. It was a benefit here, and um, he was part of that. And that's when we first started playing together. Um, that's a pretty cool way to start playing with someone. It was, yeah, it was really. We, we just played with. It was really. Robert, like, yeah. And for the listeners, David is referring to the Led Zeppelin frontman Robert Plant, not yeah. a different Robert Plant. Um, I, actually, I take it. I take it back. I played with him before. It, Alejandro Escovedo had this thing he did, which was called uh, "Sounds of Austin," which was an exploration of the history of Austin music, and we did it like in Chicago at the Symphony Space. We did it here at the Moody. And I was the MD, the music director on that. So actually, that was the first encounter I had with Glenn. But um, yeah, he's just a, a beautiful soul, a great guy, yeah, and a great player. What cool stories. And for the listener, um, the Continental Club, which you just referenced, where you played with uh, Glenn and Robert Plant, just down the street. Yep, just a hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah, just take a left up there on Congress, mm-hmm. and you're there in like a couple minutes. Correct. Pretty cool. Let's talk about Bobby a little bit, who uh, rounded out. Oh, no, there was 
we still got to talk about Hoffner, but we'll get to yeah. him. Bobby and his drumming and how uh, you got with him, Colin. So Bobby Trimble, longtime Austin drummer, originally from L.A. He was uh, in the rockabilly scene out in L.A. And he played and toured for like 17 years with a rockabilly guy named Big Sandy. And uh, Bobby fell in love with a woman here and uh, moved to Austin. Uh, kind of left the road and started playing around town. I met him because our children were in a daycare together. Oh, okay. Yeah. We lived fairly close to each other, but didn't know each other. And then uh, when I met Bobby, he was playing in six bands. Like you do. And <laughs> I asked him, hey, would you be willing to play with me? How about a seven? said, I'd love to. I, I don't have time. Um, I can't. Uh, a few years go by, and a few of those bands, you know, fizzled out or moved on, and, and he had more time. So I approached him again, and he said, you know, yeah, I can. He's got a really uh, cool-sounding drum kit. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. pretty old. Yeah. You can hear the age in it. Yeah. And it's wonderful. I didn't, didn't know what to expect when I, when I saw the drums coming in. Right. They looked so old. I had a hunch that all it would take was you know, sticking microphones in front of it. And that assumption was correct. Right. It just sounded really good. Yeah. Um, not a lot involved in, in post, but, um, okay. So we, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Bob. We'll get to Bob Hoffner. And yeah, don't did, forget Cynthia. And Cynthia, of course, we'll get to her too. Bob Hoffner was a pedal steel player. He, um, He's the, he's the secret sauce. He is the secret sauce. <laughs> totally. The track is sounding great. Yeah. The mixes are great. And then, and then it's like, Let's drop in Hoffner. Yeah. This, and then, yeah. <laughs> ooh, this just gorgeous yeah. thing surrounding the whole mix. Yep. How did we track this puppy? Do you guys remember? I think we did, we live tracked with Colin dummy vocaling in here, the control room. Correct. Okay. And even some of the solos. Is that right, David? You were doing live takes of the solos. Yeah, as much live. We That was kind of one of the, the parameters that we'd established that we... You know, it didn't wasn't going to be overproduced, and that we wanted to as much as possible get the feel and the sound of people playing music in a room. That's good. I like that approach. It's not always the best decision, but for this, I think it was. And I love listening to the album for that reason. You know, those are the takes. Yeah, it wasn't a bunch of stacking. Yeah. Your acoustic, you, you play a lot of electric on this too, but your acoustic, I really fell in love with that sound. It sounded gorgeous. What are you playing? Do you remember? Um, I think I was playing a lot on an Italian guitar called a Maggi, uh, made by a guy named Luciano Maggi, who's a Tuscan luthier. He predominantly builds like concert-level classical guitars for high-end classical players mm -hmm. um and he started making steel string guitars and i'm lucky enough to have a prototype of one of his first steel string guitars um and uh it has a very particular voice um it's it's very present and it cuts really well it's a really loud guitar um it almost is like if a guitar and a banjo and a dobro had a three-way. 
and, and their progeny would be that. It's the start of the of, of the joke. A guitar, uh, something or other, and a, I don't even remember what you said. What a dobro and a banjo. Walk into a studio. Yeah. Yeah. David, is this the one that has a, an extra hole? It has, the yeah, it has the, yeah. the other sound hole that's on the top bowed. Yeah. So you can actually, it's good for self-monitoring. You know, it's, it's quite loud. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little monitor just for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. that's that's part of why it's a much louder guitar. It's one of the reasons. The other, re- I mean, not to get overly technical, it's got this this lattice bracing in it, which um, enables and that, and also the soundboard. The front of the guitar is super thin. It's like a flamenco guitar. Like I can put my hand on the soundboard and strum the strings, and then I can lift my hand and put it back down, and lift it and put it back down, and it gives a wah 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 effect. Oh, that's how wow. that's how thin the wood is. It's like wah wah wah. So it just throws the sound out there, and the lattice bracing evidently uh, helps it be open, and so that it's not too tight. Okay. And and, and it lets the the, the vibrations it, it it makes them mow better. Yeah, that sucker really really sings. Yeah, it does. Colin, since we're on the subject of Polk's guitar, I wanted to ask you if you have a favorite uh, guitar solo on the album. I know that might take some consideration, so I'm willing to kill time by talking (laughs) about the weather. Today is gorgeous. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Isn't it, Polk? Well, Colin figures this out. Yeah, it's really, really... It's really gorgeous. It's that kind of perfect temperature. I like the the me and Paul. Oh, he's ready. Uh, he's me ready. And Paul. I mean, just pick a song, and I'll tell you. You know what's great about the solo, but that I think you used not a Strat, but the Strat like. Oh, it's a Telly. Your te- Sorry, I used a Telly on me and Paul. Yeah, yeah. You know, taking a a Willie Nelson standard, Waylon Jennings also had a hit with that song, mm-hmm. and. Uh, David came up with a, a unique sounding solo. Let's listen to it. All right. Pages lie, pick on me, Paul. Hands it off to the pedal steel. Great handoff. Great handoff. Yeah. Uh, my favorite solos on this whole thing are Bob Hoffner. Yeah. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> They're just so fantastic. My favorite solo is the... I got to go with the hoffner Polkingham trade-off on Yano Estacado. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That one... Let's take a listen to that one. Second one is going to be the trade-off with Glenn on Dublin. Oh, yeah. And there's a bit of a story there. Do you remember? I love this moment. No, refresh, refresh. Okay. Maybe with time and, and 
as time passed, I've, I've romanticized and embellished. But I remember we put you in the bathroom. Yeah. Right? That's right. I think just for isolation and so that I could, we didn't bring you in the control room so we could still right. monitor in here. But right. So we put you in the bathroom. Right. We said, oh, it sound, actually sounds pretty good. There's a, a yeah. bit of a pleasant, yeah. very short reverb going on. Ceramic. <laughs> Ceramic does that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you, you and Glenn, were tra- it's a beautiful song, and you're trading solos back and forth. I think you each get two, maybe. Right. And afterwards, you came out and you said that something about being not being able to see Glenn while he right. was doing his bass solo and you right. guys talking back and forth, you teared up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought yeah. about your old friend. Yeah. And he's just on the other side he's of the wall, and you yeah. guys are talking to yeah. each other. Musically speaking. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Glenn sometimes does that to you, you know? You know? Just all of a sudden you realize that, like, because he's one of those guys, and sometimes bass players are like this, where it's like, are you connected to the middle of the earth or what? <laughs> <laughs> like, you were so grounded. It's a good way to put it. You know, just like, just this this pillar of uh, a foundation um yeah no you're not romanticizing that that's that's what happened that's what happened yeah recollection of that uh recording was when we were first rolling i think you you pointed to glenn to take the first solo right and usually the upright bass is not the first solo right so i think that that kind of helped uh draw your ear towards something unique in that song that yeah it's certainly not a bass solo in the guy clark original version right and i also don't think glenn was expecting right uh, you know, who's going to take the solo? Oh, you, mm-hmm. upright bass. And, that, you know, we might have used his first take. I think we did, because he just came in and basically just, sang the melody so sweetly yeah. on the bass. Yeah, that's, you know, that's it was, what happened. Yeah. It was like, well, what should happen here? This is what should happen here. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned, he was right. <laughs> he was right. Colin, <clears throat> you, show, you got to showcase a lot of your deep lower register on this album, on Dublin Blues, probably, maybe most of all. Polk, I'm going to ask you kind of the mirror question of the one that I gave Colin. Do you have a favorite, it could be a particular moment or just a, a, an approach that Colin used? or? Well, I will say this. So I never knew Colin as a singer. And then I started hearing Brass Buckle and was like, well, he's got a fantastic baritone voice. Um, which I never knew. Um, and over the years, you've really grown into your voice. I could tell, like, when I first heard you that you were trying to sound like something. And now, as the years have developed, you're sounding like you, you know? Um, and I, I think that doing this album, 
was really good for that. Yeah, there were a number of things that we did on the album that we listened back and you're like, yeah, I feel like I'm being a little bit forced here. And we went back and you did it and it was, every time you did that, you were just more you, you know? Um, which I, I, I love, I love that. Um, that kind of just realization of like opening yourself up and letting yourself be. That's the place to, to get to, you know? Um, so that has been part of the, an excellent part of the journey of knowing this kid since he was in like 11th grade or something, you know? This here kid. <laughs> this here kid. Get out of here, kid. You bother me. Um, there were a couple of times on the album that you also explored going into a higher register with a little bit of prodding from me. Um, and they're very emotional moments for me. Um, and I, And now having heard you in writing some new songs recently and hearing, hearing you do more, you're now you're incorporating that more in there too. And I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. But yeah, the bark of that baritone is, uh, it's a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. I also, I, I had forgotten, but now I, I do remember there was a, a moment of reckoning during tracking where you wanted to do a different approach on a lot of the tracks. Like Polk said, you, you identified something that you were doing that you didn't quite like. Do you remember that? Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, one, I remember uh, re- re-recording uh, the vocals on was Six Strings Down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, <laughs> perhaps like many singers, I've done some of my best work in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I was in the shower, and I was thinking, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with the way that came out. And just singing in the shower figured out a slightly different approach that backed off a little and opened it up more and made it feel more natural and less forced do you remember what it was i think it was like a a bit of a resonance thing almost or like a a a frequency thing i think you were up a little like in the ah then you rounded it off a little bit was that was that it Probably part think, of it, yeah. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah. I think that was that was some of it. It was. Um, it was, yeah, an opening of the voice up uh-huh. more and a, a less of a, of a kind of a, a, a shriek. Yeah, a, clo- a, a, a sharper attack. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a, a sort of an analogous moment with an arrangement. I think it was, tender heart. Mm, yeah. Where you guys were doing a, a bunch of takes in a in yeah. a style. Do you remember what the original? I, I know. Was? Exa- I remember exactly what happened. So we we were playing Tender Heart, which Colin and I decided. And his his actually it was it, the impetus was his of like I want to do this, but I want to slow it down, and I want to do it like an octave lower than the original, which is an Alejandro Escobedo song. Um, and I was like, that's that's groovy. Uh, that's got super vibe, and but we kind of kept the riff, which is go go right. We we had that. The original is like and we had it like and then it was going okay, and we had we had cut we had tracked it a couple times. And then, for whatever reason, I threw on like a wicked tremolo. And Glenn 
and I somehow just went go go whoa 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 go go whoa 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 and I went mm. that's even vibier. And so we just about faced and you know mid tune and went hey let's go back to the drawing board let's just try one time like this and that was the take yeah that was it so much more space yeah just like yeah and super vibey and groovy once you get to that landing on the second of boom boom yeah then yeah. the toms and what you yeah, know Bobby's then, doing is yeah yeah that can come out more exactly yep i turned into i'm and this is a very very humble opinion on my part i think it's better than the original track by the original artist with whom you played for with, many the, with years. whom I played for a decade, I'm you just played saying. that song <laughs> a couple <lot>. hundred times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I really liked the, the incarnation that came about in here, and it was it wasn't through like any uh, great genius of of mine. That's for sure. It just was happenstance, and everybody going, "Oh, that's better." One of those yeah. moments. Yeah, huh? exactly. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted David to produce this album was because I'm coming with cover songs you know that i like to sing some of them are well known some are more obscure two of them david played with the original writers and uh, i knew he could with his experience and ear and sort of musical sensibility arrange them in a unique way because with an album of covers you don't want it to sound exactly like the originals but you don't want to screw them up Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and i think we we found the balance of staying true to the songs yeah. um, as they were written, but presenting them in a, you know, each one's slightly different yeah. uh, or some are maybe vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the tender heart by kind of removing the, the main riff, like you said, it, it created all this space. There's both you and Bob have some really gnarly solos oh, yeah. on that. And I think the, the minimalism of the groove just sort of opened up the palette for this yeah. really wicked slaying by, uh, by you and Bob. Right on. Yeah, it turned, mm. there's the right on. Yeah, right on. That's the right on that opens up. Uh, satisfied. Satisfied. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's play it here. Right on. Yeah, that's, we could have just taken the one you said. It's not exactly the same. Um, was that the song that is wildly different from the original? Satisfied? Yeah. 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 It was like a blue, like a... So uh, Satisfied was written by Ian Moore, who grew up in Austin and was pretty pretty big in the early and mid-90s. He was going to be the heir apparent to Stevie, Rayvon, but he... Well... He, he was he, saddled. He, with... he took that cape off and said, no, I don't, yeah. I don't, this is not my cross to bear. Yeah. <laughs> but he was doing the, the, the blues rack shredder stuff on 6th Street and, you know, had a big following um, and had uh, some songs on the radio here and record deal probably. And, oh, yeah. um, so Satisfied was this kind of traditional blues rock that I, you know, heard on KLBJ when I was growing up and wanted to do it. And David said, okay, well, we can't play it like a blues rocker that's been done and uh david came up with this lovely finger picking that kind of twisted the song around and i think uh, in a real beautiful way yeah it reminds me of uh sunday morning ah 
I don't know. I, I, yeah. It's just something about... It's easy it's like Sunday bright. morning. Yeah, it's open, <laughs> bright, and that... Uh, and also the song... Uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie's version of Sunny Side of the Street. Mm-hmm. Something oh. about it has that force behind it. That's good. That's yeah. a good force. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk favorite Bobby moments. And I'm going to go first. <laughs> I like how... I'm going to go with Unholy Train for Bobby. Because it's like... He's a bit of a, of a rocker. You know, he has the rockabilly past. And he likes to, he likes to use the sticks mm-hmm. and strike the drums. Yeah. But on a lot of this album, there was... He does some cool stuff with brushes. I think he had uh, mallets. Um, yeah. And he's a little restrained, but you gave him uh, Unholy Train, and it's just the entrance into the song is just smashing cymbals. Yeah. And it was one that I could, that was fun to mix because you can use a lot of cool compression to make those cymbals just sound insane. Right. Do you guys have any uh, any fun Bobby moments from tracking or? My I think my favorite track on the album of his of his playing is is Unholy Train myself. Really? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, I mean he bought he bought serious fire, yeah, to it, you know, and it that's exactly what it needed. Um, it kind of needed a take the brain out, turn the heart up, and rock. Yeah. Vibe, um, and yeah, so I, I that's probably my favorite Bobby moment too. Cool. Yeah. I enjoyed um, Dublin Blues watching him get the the kind of almost gong-like mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. And that was sort of out of his wheelhouse mm-hmm. but it's like it all it all kind of ended up fitting I yeah. think very beautifully. Mm-hmm. I think I bought mallets for him. Did you? I, I remember something about yeah, that. I think so. I was like, "Yeah, we like mallets on like open drum tones and stuff." And he's like, uh, "I don't have mallets." <laughs> I was like, "I'll get some." <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, that was a fun process because it was you were in there with him. You had you had some pretty clear ideas yeah. about where you wanted those hits. So yeah. it was uh, a back and forth between you two about finding the exact right spots for right, them. Right, right, and they're a little few and far between. But when they when they come into the song, they make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess there's a lot of reverb on there and just, because mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like right. <laughs> just a floor time. It's a little no. bit bigger than that. Yeah, well, you, you, put some se- you put the secret soup on it. Yeah, yeah. just choose a reverb yeah. and just crank it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we cannot forget some guests we had on this album. We had uh, we had Cynthia on backup vocals. We had Kevin Russell from Shiny Ribs oh, on yeah. his 100-year-old mandolin. That's right. Yeah. And uh, talk about those two and what they what they brought, what they did. Colin, tell me about Cynthia. Okay, Cynthia Slate is a fantastic singer. Um, we have a mutual friend from California. She moved to Austin to go to grad school. And um, our mutual friend put us in touch, and she started singing back up uh, with my band. And she did a few tracks on the, the Brass Buckle album, and um, she can just let it rip. Mm. Um, she's got a great voice, and David kind of could give her a little 
instruction on the sound we were looking for and she just came in on our lunch break one day yeah she stuck it all, like all all on lunch time yeah 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 it didn't she take did, her very long she did a great job yeah did a great job and she's super pleasant and an awesome person oh yeah yeah as well you know you guys sound yeah. really good together all all three of you on uh was it unholy train yeah speaking of yeah yeah mm-hmm. she's on a bunch of others too right right yeah. Yeah, she sounds wonderful. Um, Kevin Russell and that 100-year-old mandolin, yeah. which is a great piece of trivia that I love. Huh? Yeah. Uh, what did he play on? He played on What Passes for Love. Yeah. Which That's was right. another blues rocker from the 90s that uh, a band called Storyville played, written by their guitar player, uh, David, David Grissom. Grissom. And uh, David reimagined that one with a real bluegrass feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were in pre production going through instrumentation, you know, the mandolin would, would sound really good on, on this version. Yeah. So uh, I reached out to Kevin and he had a little time off the road and uh, hopped over and you know did a number of takes and yeah you you really did a great job mixing yes you did um, thanks what did I do you, just... you, you put together a little snip oh. here snip there and yeah you know that's right because he just came in and did like yeah. eight takes and we we're like okay we'll build something from this exactly and the three of us sat in exactly. here exactly it was yeah we made a we made a quilt. Yeah, we, we did. made a quilt of Kevin Russell's 100-year-old mandolin. I hope yeah. I and well, of course I still have that session. But uh, it'd be cool to open that up, and I can snap a photo right. to go along with the release of this podcast of that quilt. Yeah. So, listener, what what sometimes happens is you'll you'll create a playlist. Someone will do eight takes, say, and they have a solo, and they might not like the whole solo, or they might prefer a section from another one. So, what we did, the quilt uh, David's referring to, is we would take little blocks, little chunks that we liked, and then you promote it to the actual track. And so pretty soon you have this thing that really does look like a quilt. Yeah, you stitch it all together. Yeah. With crossfades. Yeah, crossfade stitching. And then uh, and then you have a, a yeah a coat of many colors. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll find that photo and I'll post it. And I don't. I think, if memory serves, David and Kevin Russell had never met before. That's correct. Which which was really surprising to me. Yeah. Considering how long you've both been. Yeah. Playing music in Austin. Considering how many times I'd seen him on stage. Yeah. Yeah, and probably vice versa. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. I, yeah. I I just assumed mm-hmm. that you guys are probably old friends. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, cool. I'm glad, Colin, you were able to yeah. bring these he's, two. He's a conduit. Two guys yeah. together. Of course, we can't forget all the backup vocals that Polk brought to yes. the table. Um, particularly, choice were his. His lalas. Oh yeah. <laughs> on you're gonna miss me. <laughs> yeah. It's very late '60s. Very, very like turtles. Yeah, kind of like spooky turtles. Yeah, spooky turtles. Yeah. Yeah. 
was a great day. I, I think I got, I hopped on there. Yes, for, you did. For something. I think you did. You did for uh, on the bridge. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. you gave us a good Axel Rose. Yeah, yeah. I, t- I got it. I, t- I summoned a little a little bit of Axel. Mm-hmm. I remember wishing I had a little more time to warm up because that's a bit of a of a jump. <laughs> right. But uh, I listened back to it. I, I'm happy with it. No, it's great. It's cool to be on a record that you weren't expecting to be on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite memories. A few more questions, more silly, kind of fun ones. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the dream. I just caught David looking around at some of the stuff. But uh, the question is, do you have a favorite, either general vibey thing about the dream, or preferred answer would be something specific, some thing in the room? Take your time. We can edit this. In general, I like all the books. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, just to be able to... I'm a big fan of books, uh, not the audio brand. Yeah, there aren't aud- audio books around the top <laughs> no, no, no. of this studio. <laughs> Listen to all my books. Yeah. Um, um, so no, I'm a big fan of books, and I just like looking up. And, you know, it's like looking in someone's fridge. It you see what feeds them. Very well-decorated fridge. Yeah. I particularly enjoyed looking often over to my right and seeing Slash... With a cigarette in his mouth, looking at me like, bro, I'm sorry, you don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> that I really enjoyed. That is funny. That's a good one. Nobody said slash yet. Yeah. That's a good one. You also used that little tiny orange amp for yeah. one song. I can't remember which, but it was... Like one of the punk... Yeah. Yeah. It sounded really really dirty yeah that's yeah exactly i remember being a little concerned even yeah like, oh shit <laughs> what am i gonna do with this it sounds crazy yeah because um, i don't know something about oh you know what i have a confession now i remember i f- fucked up a little bit on uh, on the preamp i was uh, using i got you and it was like when i when i was finally figured it out it turns out that i was it was on a way too hot setting. Right. I don't know how I missed it, but right. I hope it's cool. <laughs> I mean, nothing we can do about it now. But no, no, no. It's it's printed. It's done. Yeah. I, uh, you know, there's there's really nothing that I would listen to on this whole thing and go, God, that needs to be different. So awesome. Same here. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was my next question. Actually, were you? Did the result match the vision? Yes. In in my opinion, it exceeded it. I did because I didn't. I couldn't have imagined how David would reinterpret all of the songs, and so they it blew my expectations out of the water. I mean, the both the vision and the execution and the mixing. I you know what's funny is I didn't. I hadn't heard. Maybe I'd heard me and Paul, the original, but all the others, I hadn't heard and. Through the course of tracking and mixing, they became the standard for me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost I have the reverse yeah, yeah. perception. The yeah, other ones right. are the covers, yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it, I I couldn't believe the difference between them and what how how creatively they were they were reinterpreted. I think you guys did 
a wonderful job. It was really nice to, I really enjoyed being just in this space too. It felt like, like when we would come in, like I would be getting ready to come over for the day to work and I would be like, I'll go hang out with my bros. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a yeah. bit of that going on. You know, there. it's almost like I'm going to go hang out with my bros in the clubhouse type yeah, thing. You like know, a sandlot kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, um, and uh, that vibe is um, really hard to engender if it's not genuine. Oh, cool. That's great to hear. Yeah. Appreciate you saying that. What's next for you guys? I heard through the grapevine some rumors about maybe doing another one. Yeah. Got uh, about a dozen original songs. Originals this time. Oh, and, hell yeah. And um, David's kindly agreed to anchor them with some production and guitar playing. I'm sure we'll yeah. work up some groovy arrangements as well. So, yeah, hopefully... Well, my goal would be to get it done definitely before the end of the year. Yeah. Well, we, when we first talked just a... A month or two ago, we first talked about it, and it was like, well, you know, of course, here we are in COVID era, and uh, there are choices. Um, we could do it sooner than later, but it would require probably people not being in the same room making music together yeah. and flying tracks around, which you and I were talking about. Making music together is a funner and it's less time consuming because when you get together and you play through something, you can realize it doesn't work and you can pivot and do something that does work in that same period of time, as opposed to recording entire tracks and then finding out that that doesn't work and having to re-record all tracks. Something you know? like tender heart. Yeah. Couldn't exactly, have happened the exactly, same. Exactly. That, fluid that way. kind of organic, organic resolution is uh, really hard to achieve mm -hmm. the other way around, but touch wood, it looks like things are going to be a little bit more conducive towards people making music in a room together. Yeah, I'm going to knock that wood. Yeah, I'm knocking that wood. Find some wood. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, yeah, and I really like the songs, and I think it's going to be a barrel, a barrel of laughs. I think Excellent. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, the listener, after hearing this podcast and some excerpts from the last album, I'm sure they're looking forward to it, too. Yes. Uh, we are done. I want to thank you guys for coming on. It was thank great, you. and I hope to see you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Hogue. Thank you. What should we take it out on? Did we listen to Tender Heart? We may not have. Let's give them all of Tender Heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's Tender Heart to take it out. Thanks again, guys.
The Dream Studios podcast is brought to you by PuppetTelegrams.com. Think of someone in your life. Would they love getting a personalized telegram from a puppet? Of course they would. You choose the puppet. That's the fun part. Will it be Wingo the Bat, lovable and dim-witted? Will it be Lionel the Lion, who is blustery and proud? Maybe you'll choose Layla the Chicken, sarcastic and edgy, or Vitaly the Monster, an excitable force of nature. After that, you provide some quick details about your recipient to help the puppet telegram be as personalized as possible. It's a quick and easy way to make someone laugh for quite literally any occasion. A birthday, anniversary, graduation, promotion, get well, congratulations, retirement, I miss you, and my favorite, just because. You don't have to be a kid to crack up at... You don't have to be a kid to crack up at one of these telegrams, and the messages can be anywhere from wholesome to edgy and everywhere in between. To get you started, the puppets are giving you a $10 coupon. Just use the code LAUGH, that's L-A-U-G-H, if you decide to order a puppet telegram from puppettelegrams.com.